All right. Now today, we're going to talk from Acts 1 and 2. It's going to be a little bit of a different kind of message. We're going to pick pick up on some different things that maybe you wouldn't expect. Um, But it's called wind, fire, and love. You know, those things are brought out. And and the Lord has a message in it. And as I was looking it over, this is what came to my mind and to my heart. But let's read some verses from there and then we'll pray about the Lord speaking to us and speaking to our hearts. Okay, so Acts 1 and Acts 2, you know, is when Jesus said he was going to send the Holy Spirit. And he did. And so this is how it how it began. By the way, Luke wrote the book of Acts, in case you didn't know. And this is like his second book. It's like the sequel to his gospel. All right? So Acts 1.1, the former account I made, O Theophilus, which means friend of God, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which Jesus was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. Jesus risen is is the main proof of our faith. That's it. And it's good proof because over a period of 40 days, It says, with many infallible proofs, he appeared to about 15 different people, some in large groups, small groups, and individuals. Okay, so, and and these people are still alive, many of them. And none of them have ever refuted the eyewitness accounts. And that's part of what um, Luke is recording, these eyewitness accounts from people that he talked to. He presented himself alive and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them. Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And skip down now to verse eight. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He said, wait for this experience of being empowered and the Holy Spirit coming upon you or coming over you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up. Can you imagine? You're on top of the Mount of Olives and Jesus is telling you this stuff and then all of a sudden, you know, he he goes up And a cloud receives them, receives him out of their sight. And then verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem, just like he told them to. From the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered this upper room, they went up there into the room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, And Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord 
in prayer and supplication with the women disciples and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers too. Jesus' half-brothers were there. Okay, chapter two. Let's look at a little bit of that. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord. Now, Pentecost was like 10 days later. Okay, okay, so 10 straight days. They've been praying and seeking God. They've been waiting. Like, don't, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait until you receive the promise. So 10 days, they're praying. Okay? And it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues like fire. And one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now... There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Okay, people were gathered, right? They were, they were starting to gather for the day of Pentecost. And now it's just teeming with people. They're, they estimate there was about 250,000 people there, which in the first century would be a ton of people. And they're gathered. And they're coming from all over the place, like verse 9 says. Um, Parthians and Medes and Elamites... Or wait, I skipped a little part I, we need to talk about. Tongues as a fire sat upon each of them, filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues. Okay, we did cover that. Parthians and Elamites and uh, Medes and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia. They were all gathered, right? It was a big feast. There are three feasts that um, people were supposed to come to each year in Jerusalem. And one was the Passover, then Pentecost, and then um, the one in the fall, I forget right now. It's Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? And so it says that uh, more people, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, there was about 17 different people groups, about 17 different places where they were, they were coming from. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, well, they're full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the 11, raised his voice and said, men of, Jerusalem, of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be made known to you. And heed my words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine o'clock in the morning. In other words, we haven't been drinking wine because we, we wait till later for that. Um, this is only nine in the morning. But this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days that says God that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And on my male and female servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And they'll speak. They'll speak about it. What were they speaking? Verse, verse 11. Speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. 
The Holy Spirit was helping them tell people about the stuff God was doing in their lives. You know, God is doing stuff in your life. And he, want to give you the, he wants to give you the courage and the boldness and just the kind of the fountain of necessity because it's just sort of bursting out. That's what he wants it to be, to where it's just overflowing. This is what's happening in my life. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for these dear people. And even though many are on vacation and Pastor Mike and his family are on vacation, thank you for that. And Lord, others are not able to be here, but these are here. We just thank you, God. We pray that you would ignite our hearts and our lives. Lord, with your presence. Because you love to do that. You love to show yourself. All right, here we are. This is the first time the Holy Spirit is poured out upon everyone. Not just certain people, but whoever wants to believe in Jesus. And just a month and a half earlier, every one of these people were so sad and so scared and so shattered and so stumbled. They were hiding behind closed doors. They were afraid. They were in a truly bad way. At that point, Jesus' brothers weren't even believers. You know, during his life, his brothers didn't really believe in him as the Messiah. You know, you have to kind of sympathize with them a little bit. What would it be like to be a sibling of someone who's perfect? Right? You know, always, every time you're around, he's just doing everything so perfect. And his life basically convicts you every moment. And then, you, you know, it's a little on the annoying side, maybe. And they might even have said, who do you think you are, God? And what is he supposed to say? Well, <laughs> you know, we'll talk about it later. Thinking when you're ready to believe. You know, that must have been a little bit different. Being a brother or a sibling of the Messiah. But now, things are different. When he was crucified... They became brokenhearted. His family, right? And, and his followers, his disciples. They were brokenhearted. They were shattered. And they're grieving. And Peter was especially wiped out by what had happened. Because Jesus had talked to him and said, you're going to deny me three times. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. I mean, I can see the other disciples doing that. He actually said that. But not me. I'll die for you. But then he did. He was, he was in the courtyard. He was, Jesus had been apprehended. And he was on trial. And they tried him falsely and wrongly. There are certain rules about trying people, you know, taking them to court, and they violated all of them. And these are the leaders of Israel. But while 
Jesus is in the court, courtyard of the high priest. Peter's in there too. And he was the only one bold enough to do it. Right? But then people start saying, hey, you're with Jesus. And one of them was a little girl. And he goes, no, I wasn't. And two more times, they said, you were with Jesus. No. And when he did it the third time, Jesus was across the way in the courtyard and looked over. And I'm sure he had eyes of compassion and eyes of love as he looked at Peter. Peter, I told you, buddy. Remember I said I'm praying, you know, that your faith will not fail. And once you're strengthened, but Peter just saw that look of love and he's like, And then he was crucified. How do you say you're sorry? When the last thing before someone dies was a terrible failure on your part towards them. But then something happened. Jesus rose. And Jesus especially singled out Peter and said, let's talk. He appeared to Peter. He says, hey, I said I'd rise again. It's me. I love you, man. I'm not rejecting you. You're forgiven. I got plans for you. On another occasion, they were with some guys fishing, right? And he said, well, Peter, feed my sheep. Now, he denied the Lord three times, so the Lord told him three times, tend my flock. Take care of my lambs. He's restored. You see, everything that makes a difference is that Jesus is risen. He's risen. He, you can experience every day of your life because he conquered death. He's risen and he's always with you. You may not see him And like John said, touch and handle and see and hear as an eyewitness in the same way they were. But remember, 1 John 1, 3, John wrote what we, the apostles, what we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also, all you believers out there now, You also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You can know Him and experience the risen Jesus. And you know what? That's the first encounter that you have. Where God shows you, this is real. And from then on, He's going to have many encounters with you. Because because the Holy Spirit came. And the Spirit of Jesus not only comes in to cause people to be reborn, but he wants to fill them and empower them to where they just can't contain it. So really, the message today is going to be personal revival. You know, we pray for revival. We pray for awakening. We pray for maybe what it was like back at this time when, oh, it was just overflowing. It starts right here with you. He's no less real than he has ever been. 
Right now we're in the dog days of summer. But we're coming up on a new school year. And God is at work. The pandemic is being tamped down a bit. Mixed signals back and forth. I don't encourage you to be led by that. I encourage you to be led by God. It doesn't matter whether there's a pandemic or not. The Holy Spirit wants to fill you. And while everyone else is saying social distancing, he may want you to talk to someone. (laughs) You know? And interact. Because there are ways now we can do that. And it's great. And he wants it to be real. Because he's going to use it. All right, that's what happened with Peter. Not only that, but he went to his brother James. You know, James was his half-brother. He was one of the brothers that started to believe. Why? Because he singled out James, and it says that he appeared to him. In one of the Gospels, he appeared to James. And, And in 1 Corinthians 15, he appeared to James. And James must have been. I'm sorry, we just didn't believe in you during that, you know. During your life, I was just being stupid. You know, kid brother thing. But this is so great that you're the Messiah. And he became the pastor of Jerusalem's church. Yes, God has plans for people's lives. People that fail bad. They big time mess up. Think of maybe one of the most well-known or most influential people in Jerusalem, the Apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus. And he took him and made him an apostle. The Lord may want you to reach the next big-time evangelist. Or he might want to make you that. He has plans. He has an exciting plan for our lives, each and every one of us. And so what changed things for James? The risen Jesus. Experiencing the risen Jesus. And here are the women followers, even his mom. They're gathered. Joanna, Salome, Mary Magdalene. No longer are they weeping in despair. But they've seen Jesus. And he's saying, now I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the promise of the Father. Remember, Jesus had said in Luke 24, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. This is it. This rushing mighty wind didn't come from earth's whatever however wind starts it came down from heaven it came straight down from heaven that's what it says in verse 2 of chapter 2 suddenly there came a sound from heaven this wasn't physical wind this wasn't like some oh no bad weather today this was the Holy Spirit And it was manifested with wind. You know, wind is extremely powerful. And it's transformative. And we talk about winds of things coming in. There are winds of doctrine. There are winds of of 
worldviews. And right now, the worldview in the United States is not so good. And there's a lot of debate. The darkness is carrying the day in a lot of places. But the light is rising up, and you're part of that. And the Holy Spirit is blowing. He's working. It all started with prayer. He promised them the fathers of, the promise of the Father would come. And so with one accord, it says in verse 14 of chapter 1, with one accord, they waited and they prayed for 10 straight days. Now that word one accord is also used in chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord. Okay, that word is in Greek, homothumadon. It means they had the same passion. The same passion. It was a united passion. They were gathered in unity because they wanted the glory of the Lord. They wanted to see what he was going to do now. This is step two of the kingdom of Jesus taking over the world. You know, there's two rival kingdoms here in this world. If you're in the kingdom of Jesus, I just encourage you, get excited. Because there's a lot of more, lot more people he wants to steal from the enemy. People that you care about. And it starts with prayer. It starts with prayer. Getting people together and praying for those people until they come to Christ. It's so... I mean... You know, I never thought I would necessarily be a pastor. But when I came back from, you know, taking some Greek down in SoCal, I took a year's worth in one summer. And I went to Costa Mesa. Every service they had. I mean, it was just just the beginning of the Jesus movement. And I was like soaking it in and drinking it in. And when I got back and the Lord said start a Bible study in Seattle I mean first of all I was surprised that he would even maybe want to use me you know but I was sitting there in my bedroom so many times and just thinking oh we need this because I'd been down there and I saw so many people so many young people their lives are changed and so just started praying And me and my friend started praying. And I'll tell you more later. But it was just incredible. I just want to say that the unity of people in prayer, it's it's going to ignite you. It's going to ignite you. Like it says in Psalm 133, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren, brothers and sisters, to come together in unity That's where the Lord commands the blessing. It brings in eternal life. You know what eternal life is? It's simply this. A relationship with Jesus. That's what it tells us in John 17, 3. It's not going to heaven. People always say, oh, they're in a better place. Are they? Did they know Jesus? Then they're not in a better place if if they didn't. 
I'm just telling you what the Bible says. We all know this. They have to know Jesus. Now, this isn't an exhortation just to go out and witness. This is an exhortation. Get excited. Because the Spirit wants to empower you and overflow you. And the beauty is, he gives refills. People in, I spoke this morning at a church, we had a little Q&A. And and, um, he said, how many times can you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Or how many times do you pray, they said, to be filled with the Spirit? I say every morning. Every single morning. Because every day I want it to be, you know, what he's doing. And seeing what he's going to do. So often, you know, we're tempted and we look to other pastures. As if there's green pastures somewhere else. And so we jump the fence a little bit for a while. And we're messing around in pastures where there's no fulfillment. You know, you know, a lot of you know I love sports. I mean, I've been following the men's basketball team through the Olympics. Woo! We got gold. Hallelujah. But anyway, they lost to France in the first game. You know, this is the United States. It's not supposed to happen. I was so depressed. But I still followed them because I like sports. And I've learned don't get put any happiness in sports, especially the Mariners <laughs> or the Seahawks. Now, I love those guys. Don't get me wrong. I, I'll be cheering whenever I can. But that's not where. Where what we're looking for is at. We have it in Jesus. He has an exciting life. He's like Gandalf coming to Bilbo and saying, I have an adventure for you. Jesus has that. What does that mean? Well, it says we're his workmanship. In Ephesians 2.10, we're recreated in Christ Jesus when you have Jesus in your life. And we're recreated for good works, which he has prepared beforehand for us to live in every day. What am I saying? That verse alone tells you he has your life all planned out. This next week, every single solitary day, he has divine appointments. That verse says that. He's, he's created us for good works, which he's prepared beforehand for us to walk in. We're missing them. We're missing divine appointments. And it makes life exciting when you don't miss them. I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm, I'm just trying to stir us up. This is what rouses me every day because I know he has stuff like that. I was thinking about my dog today. I used to have a dog way back when I was a teenager and his name was Tippy. Anyway, he used to jump fences because he was really athletic. You know, he was training for the Olympics. I'm not sure, but anyway, he used to jump everything. You know, he really enjoyed it. But then one day he was trying to jump a picket fence and he landed on the picket. In the sensitive area. It was not good. But he was okay. He lived. But he learned. You're going to have to enjoy the pasture you're in. 
Don't jump out of the pasture. Don't have Jesus, your shepherd, 75% of the time. And then 25%, I'm going to try that thing that he doesn't want me doing. No. 100%. He doesn't want us going to those other things. Now listen, I have stumbling blocks. I have issues in my life. I'm thankful for his grace and mercy and forgiveness. And I always receive that, just like Peter did. And I really want to encourage you with that. His love is so great that we are able to love others and spread his love because he first loves us. So it's not to earn anything. It's to share that he's a forgiving God. And he wants me to spread the best thing I have in my life. And that's what he's telling these guys here. He's filling them with power so that they won't go to other pastures. They'll stay in the Lord's pasture and they'll be bringing other folks. The green pastures and to the still waters. Now, he gives us the power of the Spirit to do this. We couldn't do it without the power of the Spirit. That's why, that's why he's saying, wait, wait in Jerusalem till you're endued with power. Because with the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll not only have the strength to do it, you'll have the desire to do it. You'll be jazzed up about Jesus. How many are still, don't, don't raise your hand, but just think to yourself, you're really as jazzed about Jesus as you've ever been. Or is there some need here for him to fill you and for your cup to overflow on a regular basis? Because that is his plan. That's what he wants. And when, he, when we're letting him be our shepherd, that's what happens. You see, it's not by our might nor by our power, but by his spirit, says the Lord. This is how things get done. And this wind is such a good um, example of the power of God. Jesus himself compared, right? Compared the Holy Spirit to the wind. He said the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. So when you put your trust in Jesus and receive him, the Bible says you become a child of God. You're born of the Spirit. And then he's telling them, now I want you also filled with the Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit is God. How can you be filled with God? He's rather big. I would think one finger of the Holy Spirit would fill me. The only way we can have God in us is if we let him overflow. He's so great and so mighty. He's not just going to sit there and go, yeah, this is really fun. No, he's, he's in charge. He's got things going on. And it's the best thing. It's the building of the kingdom. Now, the wind... You can't see it, Jesus said, but you can feel it. We can see its effects. 
Are there ripples on the surface or on the depths of your life? Are there waves? You know, it's not always bad. Sometimes it's sadness. Because the Holy Spirit is grieved. I have to admit, some of the Olympic stuff that I watched, I was so grieved. It was like a commercial for same-sex relationships. Sad, you know. I love these athletes and their talents. and They seem to be great people, and I'm not saying they're not. But then they're extolling something that God says, you've crossed boundaries. And it's not going to bring green pastures and still waters in the end. I have better things. Is it good to have relationships with the same sex? Yes. I need guys in my life. There's just boundaries that should not be crossed. It's the same thing on the woman's side. Now, a lot of you know my daughter experimented in that realm. And she was stumbled. And she knew Jesus. And she was sad. And she was brokenhearted. And we would get together. And the Lord told me, do not be harsh at all. Just tell her you love her and that you'll always love her. Never condone it, though. And always say, hon, you can always talk to me no matter what. And I didn't preach, but she told me. Because we're good friends. And I encourage parents and grandparents, no matter what your kids or grandkids fall into at times, always love them. and Make sure there's an open channel. Always have that. And she did. <laughs> and it, it was saddening to me. I cried right along with her. But you see, she had met Jesus at a young age. I encourage you, lead your grandchildren and your children to the Lord at the earliest possible time. When they realize they need his forgiveness and his salvation. Lead them. Him. She had had many, many, many experiences with that. And you know what she told me? After several years, after several years of stumbling in this area. Now, a lot of you know Amy. You know right now she's an amazing Christian woman. She's married, has three of the most beautiful kids in the world. And you guys have some super cute kids. So, you know, this is who I'm talking about. But it was a a difficult, difficult time. And she said, Dad, you know, as I pursued that and I crossed boundaries and I didn't know how to, to keep those boundaries in my friendships with, with gals, they wanted more. They wanted me to come. No, let's do this. I'm experimenting, Dad, she told me one time. I'm going, hon, why should you experiment? You know where it's going. It's going to hurt you. I hate to see that. She said, after this, these years, she said, Dad, the more I went towards that, the more I realized I was pushing Jesus out of my life. And I can't do that. I cannot live without Jesus. I'll never do that. I'll never go that way again. And that's where the Lord brought her after many years. So, all for Jesus. And the Lord's blessed her um, abundantly, amazingly, with an incredible husband and 
children and uh, she's the worship leader of her church and um yeah i'm just so thankful that god answered our prayers because the wind of the spirit will blow away the confusion all the cloudiness and haziness of the worldview of this country it's a mess and they need saving people need god a lot of them are my friends on social media Amy's friends. They're my friends too. And they'll write stuff. And I mean, they're married to the same sex. But they still reach out and they know we love them no matter what. But we want them to turn to Jesus and do it his way. You know, sometimes the wind of the Spirit is a gentle, refreshing breeze. And sometimes it's a mighty rushing wind but it's always empowering for you to follow Jesus his wind is going to blow away the confusion and when it's blown away don't go to it because God is not the author of it but of peace and joy following his ways and the Holy Spirit or the wind of that we see can dis- uproot a tree It can uproot bushes, right? Just pull them right out. The Holy Spirit does that with bitterness. The trees of of a bad temper that have become huge. You've got to stop that. But the Spirit can do that. He can uproot that stuff. Impatience and unkindness and all that. I had that. I had that in my marriage when we had a huge church. (laughs) And Kathy was going, how come you're so angry? I go, I'm not angry. She goes, yes, you are. Okay, I'll pray about it. So I did. And the Lord said, you know what, big pastor? You're not so big. You need to change. And I want to change it. You need to humble yourself. And break your heart. Quit being impatient. It didn't really go down to the kids very much. But it did with Kathy. And started praying about it. And the Lord has mostly changed it. You can fall back in the flesh. You know. Your flesh is never going to get better. Did you ever realize that? It's incurably bad. It's when we walk after the Spirit. That's why the Spirit's so important. That's why in Galatians, in in Ephesians, walk in the light, not the darkness. In Galatians, walk in the Spirit, not the flesh. He's always saying that because it's not going to get better. It gets worse and worse is what he says in Galatians. You actually get worse. You're still a Christian. You love the Lord and you're not walking that way. But if you resort to it again, it's going to be worse than it ever was. I think Peter even said, he's like a dog returning to its vomit. Right? The Lord doesn't have that. He's got better things. Now this thing about fire, and we're almost done. This thing about fire, there's wind and, and it removes things. It, it brings in other things that are better, like sunny weather or whatever, you know, whatever it might be. 
good things, the fruit of the Spirit. Well, fire, fire is a purifying power. And these were tongues of fire. I don't know if there's, James said that there's hardly any instrument on earth that needs more taming than the human tongue. And honestly, the human tongue right now in America is bad. There is so much arguing, so much hate, so much anger, so much backbiting, so much criticalness and taking sides and and fighting verbally. It's constant. It makes so much money. The news is making so much money and they're preying upon you to do it and me. They want you to watch their programs every night so you can see who's going to get the next blow. I'm not saying we shouldn't stay up to date with the news. I think we should, but let's... I don't like to... to there's the news and then there's all the commentary. Right? So it's good to know what we're dealing with and how to affect it. But what's really going to help people and transform their lives? It's going to be Jesus. Not becoming a conservative necessarily. Now, I like conservative views. And I like some liberal views. But neither of those save anyone. But Jesus saves people. He changes our lives. And he wants to fill us. And through the fire of his spirit, he changes our very words. How does he do it? Well, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When your heart is fired up for Jesus, out of your mouth is going to come the fruit of that passion. And it's good. It's good. And it's good that it comes out in a non-condemning way, but in a way of salvation. The words of our country... I mean, you just listen to people. You, if you go to movies, if even PG-13, I mean, the profanity and the, and the stuff that is constantly inferred and this and that. And we just go like, oh, well, that's just normal. And it is. And I don't tell people, oh, don't swear in front of me, I'm a pastor. People sometimes apologize. Oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Well, Jesus is around you all the time. Tell him, I'm I can handle it. But he really cares about your heart. And I don't like it when people are sensitive. Don't get me wrong. I like that. But what's really important is how he can change the heart. How he can change the heart. And he can give you a heart of warmth. Like this church to me has always been a very warm place where people want come because it's inviting and the Christians love each other and when a new person comes in they want to show love to them I like how you always have food around now you, later I get I guess we get the food which is great I kind of liked it the early part you know when they were cookies but anyway I'm talking about Wallingford they have all these cookies and all this stuff but that was in the days before the pandemic 
But you guys are so warm and inviting with people. The Lord wants us. I'm glad that the Lord changes the way we speak. I just have to tell you a little story. There's only just a couple more things left. But when I was young, when I was a kid, I was picking up some words at school in my in, in elementary. You know, fifth, sixth grade. I was picking up some words. And, and I was with these friends and you know I, it was cool to talk like this so I would use profanity and you know this and that and one day at home some of these words slipped out in front of my mom and she didn't think they were that great she had a different a different idea and you know what she did she went in the bathroom and got dial soap and a wash rag literally a wash rag she got it all wet and she put dial soap on it she said come here and she put the wash rag in my mouth and started washing my mouth out with soap. And dial soap doesn't taste that well. It really doesn't. And I was like, you know. And then she goes, okay. And then, okay, now let's wash it out with some water and spit it out. Okay. Did you learn anything? Yes. I'm not going to swear in front of you, I promise. But you need more than that. You need God's help. Now, I didn't swear in front of my mom ever again. But only later did I let the Holy Spirit wash my mouth out and wash my heart to where I'm not going to be that way. Out of my mouth is going to come what the Lord wants me to say, mainly things of kindness, of goodness, of truth, of love, patience. It's been a hard road. It's, it's hard to tame the tongue. But the one person who can do it is God. And being filled with the Spirit is what does it. Okay, um, just one last thought that I wanted to share with you guys. Let me see what it is. When you're 71, you're not sure what the next thought is. I was supposed to turn that way. Oh, yeah, here it is. This fire, it starts with a match. And that's prayer. Prayer is the match. Prayer is what started the whole thing. If what had happened 10 days before never happened, when they started praying with one accord and one passion, if that had never happened and they weren't thirsty and obedient to the Lord, what he wanted to give them, they wouldn't have been able to have it. But they did. They prayed. They waited in one accord. And all of a sudden, a rushing mighty wind came. All of a sudden, Tongues as a fire. I'm not going to talk about speaking in tongues today. I like to speak in tongues myself, personally in my prayer life. I think it's awesome. And I encourage you to receive any and all the gifts that the Lord wants to give you. But what I want to tell you is he has a different way of speaking. And that's speech that's filled with his presence and with his spirit. Like I think of Peter. Remember that last one? When he was denying the Lord, he did it with swearing and cursing. It says in the Bible, 
He's like he wanted to really make the point. Listen, I don't know him. You know, and he swears about ten times. No wonder he was so sad before Jesus, right? After he denied him, he went out and wept convulsively, the Bible says. You know, any time we go in a different way than the Lord says is wholesome and filling and good for us, we're going to get bit. It's going to be hurtful. The Lord changed Peter. He changed Peter, not just giving him the gift of tongues. He changed the way he talked. And he got up and preached. And it wasn't only Peter, because all these people filled with the Spirit was speaking of the wonderful works of God. And then Peter got up and catalyzed it into an amazing sermon. And 3,000 people got saved. You know, I've had opportunity at church to pray with thousands of people to come to the Lord. But why did they even come to the church? Because of the people who invite them and who share with them. They're the ones that deserve the credit of bringing people to know what God's family is like. I think Jesus is looking for matches. He's looking for those who are willing to be kindling wood. Easily lit on fire. He's looking for those who are dry logs. And you'll burn for a long time. But you won't be hard to light. He's looking for people like that. Will you be one? I believe he's saying to me. Will I be one? Let's pray. Thank you so much Lord. Thank you for um, Calvary. Wallingford, thank you for Calvary Ballard that meets here as well. Thank you for these churches and these people whose hearts and lives and souls hunger and thirst. Thank you for that. Lord, we want to be filled. Not just once or twice or maybe, you know, every six months, every day. Dear God, you have such an adventure for us. Every day you have divine appointments. I just pray that you'll bless each of the people here with that plan and that kind of life of doing it together with you each and every day. I pray that that they'll be aware that you're, you're setting up and you have arranged people beforehand for us to do good things towards And show them what it's like to be in your family. I pray this fall there will be such an explosion of your wind and fire and love. And it will revolutionize again the city of Seattle which has never needed it more than it needs it right now. Please do this we ask. We call upon you. And I pray that prayer meetings can start with friends as you lead them that can hasten this, this great awakening that you want to do. I pray that we'll have in our own lives a personal revival that is ongoing and never needs to stop.
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.